Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up everybody? This is Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 51. And I think Nathan, this is, I think you're the first guest to make a reappearance. We have Nathan Hirsch here today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on. And uh, you, you've been a busy bee. Uh, you you, uh, you you sold sold your company for the big bucks. I know you can't share, but you know we, we've been. I'm I'm pretty sure there's a red Ferrari parked in your driveway right now. <laughs> and uh, and then you're you you've uh, decided to to uh, teach others. So that's uh, that's uh, awesome. Can't wait to see what you what you come up with there. Yeah, I'm not a big car person. I was joking with someone. I really only spend money on food and travel. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, kind of an interesting ending to 2019. Uh, one of our clients reached out to us and made an offer that we thought was uh, more than fair. And um, yeah, I mean, it, we kind of wanted to make sure it was a win-win for everyone. We, we took $500,000 from the sale, gave it to our, our team in the Philippines, made sure that they were taken care of that their jobs were secure, that their bonuses, their raises would stay in place going forward. And we did a ton of due diligence on the new owners. I love them. I look up to them. Mark Hardgrove, um, David Martin, the free ups in really good hands. I'm now a free up client, which is a little bit weird, um, but I really <laughs> like uh, what, what they're doing over there. And, and I still recommend free up. And um, once the transition was over, it was about 90 days transition ended about a hundred or so days ago. Um, now I'm focused on, on new things. Yeah, speaking of those new things, uh, you are now starting your own course, right? Teaching people how to hire virtual assistants. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Outsource School. Yeah, so we want it to be more than, than just a course. I mean, we want to build out a full education platform. It starts with our first course called Cracking the VA Code, which is for pre-sale this week at, at half price. Um, but that's going to teach people the exact process that we use to build a, a great team of VAs. I mean, free up, we did $12 million in revenue in 2019. We had no office, no U.S. employees. It was like my business partner, Connor, and myself, and 35 full-time VAs in the Philippines. That was the whole business. So we want to teach people. I mean, we didn't just wake up one day and hire 35 people and cross our fingers and, and hope it worked out. We interviewed them, onboarded them, trained them. And then once we invested time, energy, and money into them, we kept them around for years. We had very little turnover. And that was by far the hardest part of selling the business is not being able to, to work with them anymore, although we made sure they were taken care of. And Assuming this course goes well, we have other ideas, how to use VAs to get on podcasts, how to use VAs to run your social media. And we have the same developer who built the free up software working on a bunch of VA software. So it won't be Amazon specific software. Um, and I can't share exactly what we're working on, but imagine a VA toolbox to go along with to help you manage your VAs. that will have a lot of different features there. So a lot going on. We'll see how it all plays out. Well, that's really, really exciting. Uh, I can't wait for your course, all of your platform, everything that's going on, because, you know, you are the guy who kind of cracked the VA code, who kind of helped everybody else hire their first virtual assistant. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got into all of this. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I was a, a longtime Amazon seller. I did, I started Amazon in 2008, 2009. I, I had to be one of the first like few thousand or a few 10,000 Amazon sellers out there. And there were no courses. There were no gurus. I had no idea what I was doing. And I kind of figured it out as I, I went along. And one of the things I figured out early on is hiring college kids were 
where it was not very reliable back then. They were much more focused on either school or smoking or drinking or, or whatever it was. And it wasn't my business. So I quickly adapted and hired in the remote world out of necessity using the Upworks and the Fivers. And I scaled my business for years doing that. And eventually I just got sick of posting a job and getting 50 people to apply and interviewing them one by one. And I wanted something better and, and faster. And I kept looking and looking. And when I couldn't find it, I came up with the idea of building my own platform free up. And we launched that with $5,000, a minimum viable product, a, a really crummy software that we just took it to market as quickly as we could. And we adjusted based on people's feedback and, and we're fortunate enough to, to grow and partner with a lot of great people like you guys. And, and the rest is kind of history. Yeah, Nathan, that, that's what I'm most impressed with. Like I told you the other day, I'm waiting for your partnership course because you were an absolute master at partnerships. Um, you know, you were, you would reach out enough to, to like keep you top of mind, but not so much where I was like, Oh, this Nathan guy's bugging me again. You know, like you've, you've mastered that skill. So, um, after this, that's my request for the next course. Um, but tell me a little bit about, uh, I, I know this is a little off subject. This is selfish. Cause I want to hear about this, but like kind of where, where did you come up with, you know, your, your, the way that you approach partnerships and, and, you know, how to get all these partners on board. Yeah. So let's definitely talk about that. So I don't know where I came up with it. It's more of my just overall mentality of dealing with people. Um, I, I find human psychology just fascinating. I don't know about you guys, but it's really cool. And, and I kind of know like what bothers me. Like I'm sure you guys get pitched all the time. You guys get messaged all the time with stuff you like, stuff you didn't like. So kind of just figuring out what that is. And and my whole baseline is, first of all, you need a good product, a good service, some kind of good business. If you don't have that, nothing else really matters. Assuming you have that, you need some kind of affiliate program, some kind of referral program, and you need to have that on your website. You need to make it clear, it's easy to remember, something that you can tell someone in 20 seconds. If you're offering a service-based business and you're actually doing B2B, which I know a lot of people here are not, um, you, that's something that you want to tell people at the end of every phone call. Um, but that'll still come into play later, even if you're not doing B2B. The second thing is network with three new people every single day. It's the first thing I do every single morning reach out to three new people. You're not selling them. You're not pitching them. You're reaching out to them, letting them know, Hey, I'd love to get on a networking call with you. And all the networking call is, is you hear about their business, you tell them about you and you see if you can add value in any way. And if there's some way for you guys to work together, great, go for it. If not, just meet other people in the space. So you kind of have the foundation there from there. Then it just depends on what type of places you want to get on. Do you want to do virtual summits? Do you want to do podcasts? Do you want to go do speaking live? Uh, it's funny, two years ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to go travel the world and do speaking gigs. And I did that for six months. And I was like, I, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. So I went back to more of the podcast route, but hire a VA and have them do research on what podcasts are in your industry. If you're, let's say that you sell um, like bar mugs, go find every podcast that talks about drinking and try to be on that podcast, try to network with the guests, try to pitch them, whatever it is in a very my approach for pitching is you reach out to them, you tell them what you want and you, you don't bother them. You don't annoy them. You don't harass them. And even if they reject you, even if their response is like, you suck, why would I ever have you on your podcast, on my podcast, which is a response I've gotten plenty of times. I get rejected all the time. You stay even keeled. You don't go up, you don't go down. It's but Hey, do you mind if I follow up with you in six months? Is there anything I can do to change your mind? I've had podcasts where it took me two years to get on and I had to find every single free up client 
that also listened to the podcast and got a testimonial from all of them and then sent it over to the podcast host and then they let me on the podcast. So you can get a little bit creative with it. Next is, is content. Make sure you're putting content out to your actual audience. If you're an Amazon seller, probably doesn't make sense to put out content to other Amazon sellers, although I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but find your target audience. Find that Facebook group of restaurant owners, bar owners, whatever it is that, that your product is, is intact with. And then lastly, micro-influencers on, on Instagram, people with Facebook groups of your core audience and connecting with them, seeing if you can do some kind of promotion and focus on content swaps. No one, any, no one ever wants it to be one way if, if they're going to have you on your podcast, then you need to write a blog article for them or, or vice versa and, and have that go back, excuse me, back and forth and set it up so it's somewhat consistent and organized and easy to manage down the line. So that's my overall really quick version of partnerships. Awesome. I love it. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it again <laughs> and take notes. Thank you for, uh, for letting us behind the curtain there. So back to VA since, you know, that's, that's what we're focusing on today. Um, what, I know that, you know, this might be basic for some, but, you know, can you explain what a VA is and what kind of tasks they can do? Yeah. So I like to kind of divide it into three levels of people. You got the, the followers, the doers, and the experts. So when I think of VA, I think of followers that five to 10 bucks an hour, non-US, they're there to follow your system, your processes, your SOPs, standard operating procedures. The doers are more the freelancers, like the graphic designers, writers, bookkeepers, and then the experts could be consultants, coaches, agencies, they're there to bring their own strategy, their own system. So for me, a VA is someone probably in that five to $10 an hour range that has years of experience. I tend not to hire like brand new VAs uh, because they don't really know that they want to be in a VA yet. And then they're there to follow your system, your process. And that doesn't mean that they can't help make it better, that they can't become a team leader later or advance, but it's starting off. You know how to do it. You have a system and you're trying to get it off your plate. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that was, uh, you know, one of the main things that we missed when we hired our first VA is we hired them and then we're like, oh, okay, now what, now what do we do? You know, like I've got this person working for me 20 hours a week or whatever it was. And oh, what do I give them? Like, you know, I didn't realize that you absolutely have to pair, you know, systems and, you know, you have to have a really step-by-step -step process to hand off. Otherwise it's not going to work out, especially because, a lot of times you're giving a VA uh, a huge variety of tasks, right? It's not just like one task. It's, uh, you know, it's like five or six different tasks um, and, or more. And if they don't have a step-by-step, -step, they are probably not going to be successful with that. They'll get frustrated and, you know, and, and possibly quit. So when, when do you think is, is the right time to, to hire a VA? Yeah. So for me, there's two steps you kind of have to do before you jump into interviewing. The first step is figuring out your budget. And we have a VA calculator. If you don't want to create your own that you can get an outsource school, but figure out how much money your business makes and maybe factor it in like three month average or six month average, whatever it is, because times get crazy as you can see right now. And you don't want to be one month away from having to one bad month away from having to fire everyone, figure out what your revenue or your profit is for a period of time and then how aggressive you want to be. When I first started selling on Amazon, I wanted to build an empire. I wanted to take Amazon down. I was hiring at like 50, 60% of my profit was going into hiring. Now that I'm a little bit older and have gone through multiple businesses, I tend to keep my in that 20 to 30 range, but you might be less. You might only want to invest 10% and that's fine too, but figure out how much you make, how aggressive you want to be. And then from there, it's creating a list of all the tasks you do on a day-to-day month to month, week to week basis and prioritizing them from easiest to hardest. And what I like to do, 
personally, I like to get rid of things I don't like doing because that's just kind of at the stage that I'm at. But you can figure out, hey, what do I have to do to get five hours a week back, 10 hours a week back, chip away at those easy tasks. And that's going to really help you kind of focus on what I call the 90 day rule, because most entrepreneurs, they just keep adding stuff, adding stuff, adding up stuff to their plate. Every 90 days, you should be taking another thing off your plate. And that first month, you're kind of throwing stuff against the wall, seeing what's working, starting to create that SOP. By month two, you're finalizing that SOP. Maybe you start interviewing someone. And then by month three, you're training that VA and getting it off your plate by the end. And sometimes they'll take 60 days. Sometimes it takes 120. But a good rule of thumb is that 90 days. Yeah, that's great advice. So uh, on, that, on that same kind of note, what kind of tasks do you think are some of the first tasks that you could offload to a VA? bookkeeping. <laughs> so with my dropshipping Amazon business, and I wasn't very good at QuickBooks, which is another reason to take off bookkeeping. Most entrepreneurs are not good at, at QuickBooks. But I used to get these credit card statements because my manufacturers would have my credit card and they would all just randomly charge my credit card whenever they got an order. And I would sit there with Connor and we would just, I would read off a number and he would put it into his computer and we would just do that for hours and hours and hours. Well, not only did we spend hours and hours and hours, but when we were done, it wasn't correct to begin with. So we just had to redo it. And most entrepreneurs, one way or another, end up doing that with their bookkeeping anyway. So hiring a bookkeeper to start your business is the smart thing to do. It was our second hire at Free Up. It was our first hire at Outdoor School. Hire bookkeepers. Um, next is anything that gets you out of like email support, or it could be your own inbox. That tends to be my second hire. Third doesn't really apply to Amazon sellers as much is social media. Just I'm a big proponent of um, having consistent content out there. Um, and then it kind of comes down to the day-to-day -day operations of your business. What is that thing that you are not good at that is outside of your core competency? If you're great at sourcing, don't hire a sourcer right away. Focus on sourcing as much as possible. If you write the best Amazon listings, hire someone for sourcing. So figure out what you're really good at and what is that, that stuff that is just very repetitive that you can take off your plate. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, one thing that I'm curious about, um, I, and I've heard this a lot, and I've yet to do this because I'm, I don't know quite how to approach this. So I'm interested to hear for, um, you know, giving access to your inbox, you know, like there's all kinds of stuff that comes to my inbox that I'm not necessarily wanting to trust, uh, you know, a VA that I just hired to get into that information. How do you uh, kind of get get through that? Do you, do you create like a separate mailbox for them and, and just forward stuff or, or kind of how are you handle, how do you, how do you handle that uh, situation? Yeah. I mean, you can do that. I I've seen clients that'll set up two emails and they set up automatically automatic forwarding and then they set up rules so that certain emails don't get forwarded. I personally don't do that at free up. I gave people access to my inbox. It's one of those trust factor things. I mean, the average VA cares a lot more about keeping a job with you and getting more clients, especially if you get them on a platform like FreeUp that is going to kick them off if they do anything crazy, then, then they do about just like stealing your information or getting access to your inbox, which they probably won't even know what to do with that information afterwards. So for me, I like to build up that trust. Do I just give them access to my inbox on day one? Maybe not build up that relationship, but I mean, you can have them sign all the NDAs in the world and you're not going to chase them across the Philippines over a piece of paper. So it really comes down to that trust factor. Awesome. So I guess we have somebody watching live who uh, just got accepted to free up and they're wondering um, if you have any tips uh, for them to land their first client. 
Yes, I do. Make your intro email short and very specific to the actual job that you are applying to. Whatever that job posting is, don't just send a generic thing. You can have a generic intro like, hi, my name is X, I'm from blah, 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 whatever. But then after that, dive right into that specific job posting. If that posting is Amazon, don't talk about your social media skills. Keep it very focused on Amazon. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, what is the best way to interview potential VAs and make sure that you get the best candidate and uh, the one that is, uh, you know, targeted, uh, like you said, closely to the skills that you need? Yeah, so we call it our, our care method, which essentially the E stands for experience, the A stands for attitude, R is for red flags, and C is for communication. So for us, yes, the experience is important, but the attitude is the biggest thing. If you hire someone with a bad attitude, very, very tough to get that attitude to change. So what I recommend doing is don't do a Zoom like this. Don't do a video like this. I, it's funny, when we sold the, the Hoth, the free up, the first thing they tried to do was do like a big video chat with all the VAs in the Philippines. I was like, great idea, not going to work. <laughs> um, you have different power, out, power issues, internet issues, things get lost, things zone out. So do it via chat. Have a conversation with someone on Slack, on Skype, go through it. Um, we provide you in the course with interview questions that you can ask and what you're looking for. But you want to look for someone who has a great attitude, who isn't just focused on money, who has passion in getting better and learning and wanting to be part of something bigger, but that also responds quickly and clearly that you can understand what they're saying. That if you ask them four questions, they respond to all four. They don't only just answer two of them. And you're moving at a good pace because if you're interviewing someone and they're going slow, they're not responding for five minutes here, 10 minutes there could be distractions, could be internet issues, could be anything, but that's a huge red flag. So that's how we go about it. Awesome. Uh, and all that, on that note, you mentioned a few um, uh, tools that, that you use, but uh, that was my next question anyway. What tools are you using to manage your VAs and what tools get you the most productivity? I know Slack's one of our favorites. It's funny. So I used Skype for all four years of FreeUp. And then when I sold FreeUp, I opened up a Slack account and I'm like, why have I been using Skype for the past four years? <laughs> That's the same. We just switched over like three-ish months ago and I, same exact thing. Yeah. I, I, I now know what the hype was about. Right. Slack is, Slack's incredible. Um, yeah. I use Trello for project management. Super easy, free. I use Jira for any type of developers. If you use developers, I strongly recommend um, learning how to use Jira. We use Viber and WhatsApp for emergencies. So that's a big thing people miss is they have their VA and then they have only one way of contacting the VA or maybe two, maybe you have email and Slack. You got to have that third way. You got to have a Viber, you have to have their phone number, stuff like that. At the same time, you don't want to be just be Vibering someone randomly and, and when it's not important when they're not working, but you should have that backup system there. Um, and yeah, I mean, the rest can be done via Google Docs. I know we're coming out with some new software that we think is going to complement it very well that, that I can't share. But for the most part, we keep it simple. We keep it basic. We keep it free. And I mean, we had 35 VAs all managed through, through Skype at the time. Now we use Slack and uh, Trello, Jira, and Google Docs. Awesome. And Nathan, so, uh, I have a question. Amy, go ahead. Yeah, I have a question about actually choosing the right hire. So you are, you know, you said hire a bookkeeper first, which I wish I would have done that. I had learned right. that the hard way in the end. But my question for you is, even if they're doing pretty well in the interview, um, how do you know, how do you give them that first task to do to ensure, you know, how do you choose the best candidate, first of all? And then how do you really uh, ensure that you're, you're picking the right one for the job? 
Yeah. So th there's four steps of hiring, right? You got the interviewing, got the onboarding, you got the training and you got the managing. So the goal of each step is a little bit different. The goal of interviewing is to figure out who has the best attitude, who has the best background. Yes, they could be lying about that. But I mean, I've had really good interviews that ended up being great. I've had really good interviews where you get them to do the work and, and it's so-so, even though they had a great attitude or, or whatever it was. So different goals. During the interview, you want to make sure they have a good attitude, that they're responding quickly, they have a background that you like. During the onboarding, you want to get on the same page with expectations. We call it our SICK method. So schedule, issues, communication, culture. So we go through, hey, what's your schedule going to be? What's expected there? Well, how do you handle computer issues, power issues, internet issues? Do you have a backup plan? Stuff like that. So we're on the same page. We go through communication. So I mentioned email, Slack, Viber, how we're going to use each channel, what's expected of you when you're working, and then culture, whether they're a culture fit, what they have the same values, and we'll get along with the team. So that's on the same page with expectations. And then the actual work that comes during the training, where we call it our SSS method, study, sample, show. So the whole point of that is you can give someone your SOP, and for the first X amount of time for, for free up, we had a 50 page SOP for customer service. We would give them an entire week just to read it, study it, ask questions. And then at the end of the week, we would test them. And if they get 80% of it, great. I'll get them that last 20%, no big deal. If they get 30% of it, I'm gonna value my time. I'm gonna pay them for their time because I believe in that and I'm gonna move on. So each part has a different method to it. You're not gonna know 100% by the time you're done interviewing that the person's not pulling a fast one on you, but you'll have a pretty good idea of their attitude and of their communication. And from my experience, the people that have a great attitude and great communication tend to be much more honest about what they can and cannot do. And maybe eight out of 10 are honest about it. And then you'll weed out that last two out of 10 by doing the study sample show method. Awesome. I love that there's a, a process behind all that. Um, what should you be focused on as the business owner? Like once you start passing these tasks off, uh, we kind of talked about a little of uh, that a little bit, but uh, you know, what, what should you be focusing on as the business owner? For me, I want to spend the majority of my time focused on sales, marketing, expansion, and then any type of like management setup decisions. So like right now I'm working with Outsource School with uh, Connor and Nate McAllister. I think you guys know Nate. And so we're, we're meeting, we're talking about, Hey, what's the strategy here? What's the strategy here? What do we, how do we want to implement this? So that's part of our time, although we don't spend all of our time meeting. And then the rest of the time is the sales, the marketing, the expansion. As you get bigger, you can hire people to come in and replace different parts of that. And, and the example I always give is, is free up. Everyone kind of knew me as the, the face of free up, right? And you can't sell a business if you're the face of the company. But the key is I didn't do any of the day-to-day -day operations of free up. The VAs did all of that. I would manage and, and meet with Connor and make decisions and relay them down. But when the Hoth came in and bought us, it's very easy to, to replace a marketing person or a lead generation person or, or a brand person. You can come in with a bigger, better marketing strategy, more money, different people, all of that's interchangeable. Um, so that's what you should be focused on as an entrepreneur. And then eventually those are kind of some of the last things that you do outsource, you do hire for. Awesome. So, um, how do VAs help, you know, some, some examples of how a VA would help an Amazon business or other types of small businesses, especially now that so many people are working from home? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many things that go on in an Amazon business. And it, it all kind of, Amazon's one of those things that it's running 24-7. And if you want to be like me when my, the first few years at Amazon where I was awake 24-7 running this business, you could do that. But I recommend hiring VAs to, one, work at the times that you're not working, whether it's customer service checking on your account 
Two, doing a, a lot of the, the work that just takes up time, whether it's contacting seller support, fixing shipments, whatever that stuff is. Um, and, and then more of the day-to-day -day operations that are outside of your business or outside of the actual Amazon platform, whether it's sourcing products or different lead generation. I talked to you about landing micro-influencers and stuff on, on the marketing side. All of that comes into place. So they're really there to, to kind of speed you ahead. If you take one system, let's say you have 100% of the system, and the last part of that is actually buying from the manufacturer, use the VA to get 50, 60, 70, 80% done with that. So then you can take it home on that last 20%. And then when you find that rockstar VA that can do all of it, then teach them to do a little bit more and push that limit and see if you can get it all the way. Awesome. I love that. So uh, this is a great question. And uh, this is the one that you, you, you passed to me. So thank you for, for giving me a cheat sheet, but this is an awesome one. Why hire from the Philippines? I know that I've hired from all over the world. Um, and, and I'm curious to, to see why you think the Philippines is uh, the place to go. Yeah. And I've hired from all over the world too. And I also continue to work with some people outside the Philippines. I have this graphic designer who in India, who's fantastic. So it's not all about where you live or, or where you're from, but from my experience, they speak English at a very high level. They learn English in school they they tend to be more tech savvy, savvy, computer savvy as a whole. They tend to follow the same media. And what I mean by that is they, they listen to the same music. They watch the same TV shows, they play the same video games, which might seem silly, but when you're, especially if you're an Amazon seller and you're selling US products, having someone working for you that actually understands the product and understands the culture goes a long way. The other thing is just their core values. And yes, there's a religious aspect of that as well, but overall, they're all about family. They're all about working together. They're all about the, the greater good, which when you get to the management part, which we talked about in the course, you want to get them to buy in. You want to get them to build a family inside your business. And we had situations where we had outside people trying to poach our, our VAs from our internal team and free up. They'd offer them more money, whatever it was, but they didn't want to leave the family. So there, there's certain values in there that you really want in a VA that, that go a long way. And I've also just built a relationship with great people in the Philippines and um, that's kind of expanded that as well. That actually leads me to a, a, another great question. So how, um, how do you build, build the relationship with, uh, with these VAs? Um, are you doing um, any type of like contests or like, uh, you know, cause one of the things you miss, you know, with a virtual employee is you don't have the face to face kind of fun and banter and, you know, uh, water cooler talk and you know all that kind of stuff right so how do you kind of foster that uh you know that kind of uh I, I guess morale like you know how to have fun while still getting work done so we call it our barf method which is a funny acronym i wish it spelled something different but it's <laughs> it's getting them to to buy in showing appreciation building a relationship and building that family culture and, and we give people cheat sheets and one of, one of the big ones that i'll give you now we have a monday morning meeting with all our vas we did it free up and for the first five minutes of the meeting, everyone's just sharing one picture from their weekend. And people will comment it, people will ask questions, it builds camaraderie. We get to share our pictures, like Connor and I, crazy stuff that we did. And that's just one thing that takes up five minutes of your week that gets everyone in the positive mindset before they're going. They're gonna like it, they're gonna tell their other VAs, oh, there's this awesome thing that this company does, it's kind of exclusive to them. And boom, one step closer to building that relationship. And building a relationship, is not something you just like, you do one day, you're like, okay, I have a relationship with this VA going forward. We give people actual conversation starters that don't take up much time that you can have every single week. You can do it in meetings, you can do it one-on-one, -on -one, and you can do it at the end of the week. Hey, have a good weekend, by the way, X, Y, Z. And from there, if you're just every single week 
doing one or two things, that's going to build that relationship over time. Awesome. I love that. Um, where do you see the, the freelance gig economy heading um, in the next few years? I know that uh, it, it seems to be evolving quickly. Um, I know that, uh, you know, you mentioned Upwork at one point. Um, I used to love Upwork. Now I barely use them because they put all these like paywalls up and, and, uh, and the quality of the, the freelancers actually has seemed to have, have gone down. Um, I would love to hear where you think that, that, you know, that that market is headed. Yeah, I think small businesses over the past five to 10 years have really shifted towards the VA, towards the remote workspace. I think that now we're going to see some of those enterprise, bigger level clients go more and more towards that remote space. Uh, I don't know if it's the Corona thing, but I think we we're kind of headed in that direction anyway, where more people are just figuring out the, the pluses. There's just a lot of plus from the, the client side, but there's also pluses from the freelancer, from the VA side, where they get to have multiple clients. They get to work from home. They don't have to drive to work, whatever it is. So I, I think everything's slowly going in that direction. Do I think we're going to get to like a remote world where everyone's working from home? Probably not. But I, I think that it, the tendency is definitely more and more towards remote. Yeah, I think that's that's really interesting because, you know, I've run many businesses and I've, I, I've only had a, a physical office once, which I got rid of uh, last October when we right. moved and, um, and the office was just myself. So our team's completely virtual all around the world. So it's, it's fun to balance all those time zones and things like that. Um, but I don't know if I could ever do the, the big office building. Right. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs are on that same page. They don't want to have to go to a giant you know, corporate building every day to work. Um, some people might want that, but I know that, that, you know, I don't. So it's interesting. Is that, is that something you would ever want to do, Nate? Like grow a company big enough to where you have to go to an office building every day? Or are you set on, you know, kind of the, 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 the free, um, you know, free, <laughs> the free uh, way of, of working, I guess. So I actually did that for my Amazon business. We were remote the first like three or four years and then we got an office and we were like, all right, like this is going to be awesome. We're going to be more productive. We actually paid to relocate a bunch of remote people in the US to go along with the VAs. And it was probably one of the worst business decisions I ever made. I, I added overhead to a business that didn't need it. We were a dropshipping business. We had no reason to have an office. And we, there's all this drama in the office that you just don't have when you're dealing with remote. And I think I personally just better at managing remote people. But I remember having conversations with people like, oh, the person next to me smells, like stuff like that, that I just don't have like time to deal with as a business owner. Um, and then Connor and I, on a personal level, we felt like we had created a, a nine to five job for ourselves that we had to like drive into every day, which I think now we're a little bit more mature and we're like, all right, we're the owners. We don't actually have to drive in every day, but there was a certain obligation that, uh, of who's going to be handling it. And we were also younger. We were 24, 23. So getting people that were a lot older than us to work when we're not there as business owners, I think was a little bit more of a challenge too. So for, for all those reasons, I think Connor and I, uh, unless he changes his mind, we are, are pretty set on doing the remote thing going forward. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.